Okay. Part two. We just finished recording part one of the Cleveland Strangler. It's Strangler. a Strangler. It's a doozy. I'm still. I remember watching a documentary on this years ago and just sobbing. I think it was on Amazon, maybe. There is. And just sobbing. This is the Witch's Magic Murder and Mystery <gasps> Podcast. I'm Kara. I'm Megan. Yeah. I think because I have, I mean, it's awful no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's especially awful when you think about the two women who escaped. Right. And went to the police. Mm-hmm. Also wonder how many women escaped and didn't go to the police because exactly. they knew nothing would be done. Yep. Because Vanessa Gay even said, I'd reported a rape in the past and it didn't happen. It wasn't by Anthony Solo, right. but like, Nobody she'd already had the experience of feeling like they're the treating police her like didn't the care about Fred Wolf. Mm-hmm. Also, I have questions about he got out of the prison in 2005. And Crystal Dozier, his, the first woman to disappear, didn't go missing in two, 2007. Yeah. And I'm curious about. In between those two years, what's happened? Like, did it just start with rape on the streets and then he just started taking it home? Or are there other dead bodies, places that nobody knows? Or I don't know. I mean, another thing I was just thinking about, I was going to try to give a get a glimpse of where we are on the Also, story. Cleveland, what are your victim advocates doing? I don't even know if it's getting to the victim advocates. I don't know how, I don't know what happens. Yeah. How is this all just like, did you even take a report, detective? So we're uh, in December 2008. Mm-hmm. Gladys Wade has just escaped from Anthony Sowell's house, went to the Spoke police. Spoke with the detective. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Um, At that point, several women have already disappeared. Mm-hmm. We know that those women are dead. And still in his house. Right. Or buried in his yard or in the crawl space or in the basement. Oh, my God. Regardless. Still in the house. Mm -hmm. He targeted women who were vulnerable, mm -hmm, who had a history of drug problems, who had maybe been vulnerable their whole lives. Rough pasts. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the next one. So a few months after Michelle Mason disappeared, only one month after Gladys Wade went to the police. Mm -hmm. Kim Smith would be the next woman to disappear. Kim was 44. She had grown up as an only child, and the relationship she had with her dad just makes me want to cry because it's so sweet, but we'll get to it. Typical childhood, it actually sounds a lot like mine. I wasn't an only child, but my brother was six years older, so, you know. Yeah. Both of her parents worked. She played with dolls, watched cartoons. She was really close with her cousins. Mm -hmm. She loved animals. Her parents divorced by the time she got to high school, and her mom remarried, and Kim gained a stepfather and three stepbrothers. okay. She still had some contact with her dad. He thinks that she started using drugs in high school, first marijuana, and then harder stuff. Okay. She graduated from high school. She went on to community college. She was real artsy. She took a lot of classes in, like, art and dance. And as an adult, her friends talked about how she was creative and artistic. Okay. She loved to sing and sometimes worked as a backup dancer. Oh. Nope. And sometimes worked as a backup singer. Oh. I mean, she danced too. This is probably. Maybe she did. She was arrested several times for drug-related charges. Mm. Her dad, Don, was a Marine Corps veteran. Kind of what I was talking about at yeah. the end of the last episode. And he said that he never missed a chance. He never missed a visit with her in jail. No. He would go and he would talk to her about quitting the drugs. And she would talk to him about how she wanted to get clean. And he arranged for her to go to drug treatment programs. He paid for those. He also paid for her appointments to see a psychologist. Her dad had a spinal injury and was wheelchair bound. So Kim lived with him and took care of him while she went through the drug treatment programs. Oh, wow. Okay. 
So she cleaned his apartment. She cooked for him. She made sure he got to his appointments, his mm-hmm. doctor appointments. She picked up his medicine for him. Just all the things you do when you're right. taking care of your dad, you know? Yeah. Kim never married. She never had kids. So she basically devoted her life to caring for her father, and she was working on getting clean. Okay. He never gave up on her. He was one of the few who kept trying, even when he was upset with her and disappointed. Mm-hmm. He never quit. She wanted to get better so she could take care of him. It was okay. basically like, he's depending on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kim disappeared now and then, not for very long, just a day or two at a time. But she would always call to check in because she knew mm-hmm. she had to take care of him. But of course, it was obvious to her dad what she was doing right. when she would disappear. Right. On January 17th of 2009, Kim went shopping with her aunt. Her dad gave her $100 and told her to have fun. So this was just a few days before her birthday. Mm. So I think it was kind of like a birthday gift for him, mm-hmm. you know, like, here, go, go buy yourself something. So Kim and her aunt went shopping, bought some things, had a good lunch, and then her aunt took her back home to her dad's house. Mm-hmm. And that night, Kim gave her dad a hug and a kiss. She was like, I'm going out. Mm-hmm. And she never came home. Ugh. So like Michelle, Kim's dad knew something was wrong immediately. Even though she had started disappearing here and there, like I said, she would still always call and check in mm-hmm. because she was his caretaker. And that was one of the only things she really cared about. So when days went by and she didn't check in, Don got worried. And it just kills me to think about him alone, wondering. Because that's the thing. You don't know what to think. Mm -hmm. And you don't know if they're going to call again or they're going to show. They could just magically show up after a really long period of time. So he put up a $1,000 reward for information about where she was. He reached out to her friends and they helped him put her picture up everywhere. Mm -hmm. He got lots of phone calls. But it was all just people trying to get the reward money. Like, nobody had any kind of good information for Mm -hmm. him. Then one night, his phone rang, and the caller told Don that his daughter was dead. And Don didn't want to believe it. And I still don't know who that call was. I doubt it was Anthony Sowell. Yeah. But it could have just been, you know, sometimes people are just mean. Yeah. So, he didn't file a missing persons report until he heard about dead bodies found inside Anthony Sowell's home. Mm Mm-hmm. Something that a lot of family members had to do at this point was go provide a DNA sample because the bodies were decomposed. Mm -hmm. He heard about the dead bodies inside Anthony Sowell's home. That's when he filed a missing persons report and he went and gave a DNA sample. And that's when he learned that Kim was indeed one of Sowell's victims. Wow. 44-year-old Nancy Cobbs vanished in April of 2009, three months after Kim disappeared. And all of these are terrible. (laughs) None of these are worse than the other. It's all tragic and awful mm-hmm. and heartbreaking and chilling. But this one, Nancy was a friend of Anthony Sowell. Oh, my God. He knew her. And it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they hung out. Her family knew him. She wasn't just some random woman he picked some, up off the street. Yeah. They spent time together. Some stranger to him. Nancy grew up an only child. Her parents weren't married, but they all lived together in Cleveland. She dropped out of high school when she got pregnant, but she got her GED. Her daughter was born, and she married William, who was the father of her child. He went on to serve in the military, and Nancy had a second child, a son. Nancy and William divorced a few years after they married. Hmm. Then Nancy met Adam Williams, and the two of them had a relationship that lasted for nine years. So I didn't see any mention of Nancy doing drugs before this time. Okay. But Adam said that she had been doing drugs early in the relationship, and they had a daughter together named Audrey. 
Adam also said that Nancy was a good person. He said the only person that Nancy hurt and abused was herself. Mm-hmm. Adam moved to Kansas to go to truck driving school, and Nancy and Audrey were supposed to come with him. Mm-hmm. But then Nancy, um, her drug habit got in the way. Oh. So she ended up, she was back to using, and she wound up in jail. And then Audrey's grandmother took custody okay. of Audrey. Audrey says that she and her mother were super close, that she always wanted to be with her. Nancy taught Audrey how to bake, how to decorate, how oh. to make jewelry. Once Nancy's mother took custody of Audrey and her siblings, Audrey rebelled. Mm-hmm. She says that all of her friends had their moms, and oh. she was like, my mom's in jail. My dad's in Kansas doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about me. Oh, no. By the time she was 13, Audrey had her first child. Oof. Nancy felt like she'd missed the years that she should have been mothering when she was in prison. Yeah. So she went all out for her five grandkids. She took them to the park. She taught them to ride bikes. She moved in with Audrey and she helped take care of the kids. Okay. In April of 2009, Nancy had spent the day with Audrey and her kids like usual, but she went out that night saying she would be back and she never came back. Mm. Audrey filed a missing persons report the next day. She put up flyers all over the place, but she said that the flyers would always disappear within a couple of days. Oh. And there's one store owner who said, Anthony Sowell takes them down. I don't know if that's right. It could be something someone adds after the fact. Right. But it is, that's not the only person who says they put up flyers and then they would disappear. Mm-hmm. That summer, Audrey and 30 friends and relatives formed a search party, breaking down the doors of abandoned homes around Cleveland, looking for Nancy. Oh. Audrey said she had this feeling that her mother was trapped in a oh house my somewhere, gosh. but they never looked on Imperial Avenue. Six months later, Audrey and her sister submitted DNA samples, just like Kim's dad, after hearing about the bodies found inside Anthony Sowell's home. That's how they learned that their mother was indeed one of its victims. Oh, my God. Murdered by the man that she called a friend. Yeah. A man who Audrey recognized. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's... Audrey wouldn't have thought to check his house. That's what I was going to say. Even if they had gone on Imperial Avenue, they would have just walked... Oh, that's Anthony's house. That's my mom's friend's house. Don't worry. He's probably looking forward to Amelda Hunter, who went by Amy, was born into a huge family. She was one of eight kids, the third oldest. She grew up in Chicago, where uh, she was kind of known as a bookworm. She liked reading the classics. She really liked the Diary of Anne Frank. When her mother's second husband abandoned them, Mm. Amelda's oldest sister was living in Cleveland. So she hears about the second husband leaving, Mm -hmm. and she like just goes on down there, gets her mother and her siblings, and moves them up to Cleveland with her. Oh, wow. She was like... They can be near me. I can help take care of everybody. Mm -hmm. Amy, like so many of the others we've discussed here, became a teen mom. She didn't finish high school. She got pregnant back in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Her sister says the father was a teacher who'd given Amy alcohol at a party. Oh. I don't know if that's confirmed or just maybe what Amy told her sister. I don't know. But in Cleveland, relatives, they said it was like inevitable that Amy was going to get hooked on drugs because they were all surrounded by it. And this is something I kept seeing brought up in a lot of the articles that I read. There was almost like there was a point when suddenly it was like crack and cocaine took over. Mm -hmm. And if you are already the least bit vulnerable, like any one of these women, um, she and her siblings were all surrounded by it. One of her sisters, who is now sober, says that her family is the one that got her started on crack cocaine because they were all using. Mm-hmm. Amy's daughter, when she was born, was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which left her deaf and unable to speak. Oh so God. she had to live in a group home. 
And Amy's family thinks that it was her grief over this that could have been part of what led her to become an addict. Yeah. And just have something awful to deal with. And you want to escape that. Yeah. Drugs are real appealing. Mm -hmm. When Amy was 19, she met Bobby Dancy. They didn't get married, but they lived together for years and they had three children together. Okay. Bobby worked and so did Amy, although she hopped around lots of different jobs. And it took Bobby years to realize that Amy had a drug problem. Oh. He said she was really discreet about it. Really? And also, Bobby was a heavy drinker, but he didn't do drugs himself. So, like, that probably made it harder for him to see the signs. Mm -hmm. Once he realized she had a problem, their relationship started to fall apart. Bobby didn't like that Amy would sometimes just leave the kids all by themselves. For a while, it seemed like she was kind of able to do both. Like, Bobby would wake up in the morning and Amy would be gone. But then by the time he got home from work, she would be there and the house would be clean and dinner would be cooked and Amy would promise to stop using. She did go to drug treatment programs, but she never fully got clean. She was arrested and served a little time in prison on drug charges. She started going to church and that seemed to really make a difference. There was like a six month stretch where people were like, I think she's She's actually clean. She's on the up and up. Yeah. One of her sons talked about how smart she was. He Mm -hmm. said she was always reading and that she loved Jeopardy. Oh, he said that it was like shocking to him how much she knew. Like she would sit there and watch it and and she would just know all the answers. Yeah. He said this thing. I want to just quote directly because it really got to me. She was so smart, said her son, who said he sometimes flips through the books that Amy kept on the walls of shelves at their house. I think she felt restricted due to some of the choices she made in her life and things that just happened. Maybe she felt crippled by those things. Maybe that caused her to be more miserable and use more and abuse more. Because wouldn't it feel helpless? Yeah. And then the police don't seem to care what happens to you. Right. And then you're just stuck in that whirlwind of never-ending Right. And what's the point of trying to get better? Everything's just continually falling apart and you can't get better. You can't make it better. Then you can also do drugs and forget that feeling. Yep. And then it is better because it doesn't exist. Oh. And you see it. In other people around you, uh-huh. that's how they're coping. Yeah. The people, there are people watching you and it's learning. It's easily accessible. I, mean, I just, yep. Mm. Then in the spring of 2009, so it had to be around the same time that Nancy Cobbs vanished, mm-hmm. Amy disappeared. Bobby was kind of used to it here and there. Mm-hmm. So he didn't file a missing persons report. He just assumed that she was back to her old ways. No one filed a missing persons report until bodies were discovered at the house on Imperial Avenue. Mm-hmm. When Amy's sister, Denise, saw Anthony Sowell's house in the news, she remembered that Amy had taken her to a party there a couple of years earlier. Denise didn't meet Anthony that night. She had noticed that some of the women at the party seemed to be regulars, and those women recognized Amy. Taylor, who was Amy's oldest sister, said that, like Nancy, Amy had considered Anthony Sowell a friend. Mm-hmm. So here's what Taylor said about it. When she would leave and be gone for a little while, that's whose house she was at, said Taylor, 55. The impression she gave me of Anthony Sowell was this was a nice man, but he was nice to her and did whatever he could for her. He was her buddy. That is how Amy spoke of the man who murdered her. My God. He just built that trust up to the point where he was like, all right, they're vulnerable enough to trust me. And they meant nothing to him. Yeah, no. A couple months later, Janice Webb would be the next woman to vanish. (sighs) Known as the prankster of her her family when she was a kid, she had grown up in Cleveland and graduated from high school and got pregnant a few years later. She met a man named Michael Harrell 
and they ended up getting married. Okay. Their marriage lasted four years. He worked for a local courier service, and she worked downtown at a toy store, and sometimes she would go with him on trips to, like, New York City and Ann Arbor, and they enjoyed going to clubs together. He spoke really fondly of her, said yeah. he really fell for her and had a good time with her. Janice's father died in 1985, and after that, some of her sisters started using crack cocaine. Oh, my God. And this made Janice really angry. Like, she was mad at them. Mm -hmm. She was like, what are you doing? Don't do this. Don't do drugs. Right. She didn't feel, or she just didn't approve of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And then Janice went with her husband, Michael, to Los Angeles to visit his family, and they stayed there for six months. It was his family that introduced Janice to drugs. Oh, my God. When they returned to Cleveland... Michael, who's sober now, he says he felt like he had to do drugs to stay with her. What? I have problems. <laughs> yeah, I don't know him. Clearly. We're not, we're not friends. Right. But he was like, I had to buy drugs and have them at home. Because if there were no drugs at home, then she would leave to go find drugs. Maybe All of that, spending that money on drugs, you'd just spend it on. That's what I, like, if you love treatment, maybe you could have done that instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They eventually divorced, but stayed in touch. Janice got into trouble with the police um, with drug charges and things related to that. Her sister said that Janice was the peacekeeper in the family, that she was all about her family and keeping everyone together. One of her other sisters had gotten clean, and she said that Janice often asked her for advice on how to quit drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, you know how Michael, they stayed in touch. Mm-hmm. He admits to kind of enabling her because she would ask him for money, and he knew what she was going to do with that money, mm-hmm. and he gave it to her anyway. And it's also real easy to sit back like I'm doing right now and be mad at him for that. Right, exactly. <laughs> but also having been a person who loves yeah. an addict yeah. in, in their family, I've watched a lot of people do the same mm-hmm. thing. Because... <sighs> what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all over mm-hmm. again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo, uh-huh. T-Y-M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so straightener and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately Mm -hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over the wind power on this thing is 
intense. It's wild. Like, I turned it up. I was like, let's play with these buttons. Okay, so it has three magnetic styling attachments. They're all amazing. You know how some blow dryers you get are, like, if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's going to be so tangled. Not with this one. Nice. And it's magnetic, so it's great. So right now, you guys, our listeners can get 30% off their first order at timobeauty.com. T-Y-M-O beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to TYMOBeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Menopausal and perimenopausal women, listen up. It's time to take control of your health and comfort and Winona is here to help. Winona is a telemedicine company for menopause care who believes that your symptoms are real, important, and deserve to be taken seriously. And for many women, this starts with hormone replacement therapy. Winona's HRT is made with plant-based, bioidentical hormones rather than synthetic ones, so it better aligns with your body to offer relief from hot flashes, weight gain, and other uncomfortable symptoms. 80% of women who use Winona find relief within just 90 days. So what are you waiting for? Get started today. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use code SPRING24 at buywinona.com for 25% off your first treatment plan. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com for 25% off. Winona, menopause care made easy. So Janice vanished on June 3rd, 2009. She was 48. She'd been living with a boyfriend at the time, and she'd been good at keeping in touch with her siblings. So her family waited a little bit, but ultimately decided something had to be wrong for her to go so long without checking in. One month after she disappeared, her family filed a missing persons report. Her body was found inside Anthony Sowell's home five months later. Talisha Fortson was the next one to disappear. Like LaShonda, who I spoke about earlier, she was taken from her parents and put into foster care when she was young. Mm -hmm. Sometime around five or six years old, her mom was a drug addict and her dad was an alcoholic. Gosh, that's the thing. (laughs) So many of these kids just grew up in broken homes. And they're born, they're just kids. They do all the things kids do that you hear about. Yeah. It's just not fair. (laughs) Nope. The woman who adopted her was a school bus monitor, and she taught Talisha to love animals and keep a clean house. Mm-hmm. Talisha loved to make flower arrangements and style <laughs> hair, and her adopted mother was like, you should totally go get your cosmetology license because she had a knack for it. Oh. Talisha started using marijuana at 14, and by 20, she was doing cocaine. Oh, my gosh. She ran away a lot, and a lot of the time when she ran away, she would go back to the home of this woman who had been one of her early foster moms. Oh. Which is like, she's yeah. wanting to go back there. During her teenage years, she refused to follow the rules at her adoptive mother's home. And so she usually chose to stay at various friends' homes instead. She really struggled with the whole thing of being taken from her parents and like mm-hmm. this feeling of abandonment. Yeah. By 17, Talisha was living in a residential treatment facility for kids with drug problems. She finished high school while she was there. Okay. She did better in general while she was there. I okay. mean, obviously, because... The program controlled so much of her life. Yeah, it was very structured. structured. Mm-hmm. Had a support group. Had mm-hmm. kept her off the streets. I'm yeah. sure they could control whether there were drugs in there mm-hmm. or not. But then when she left the program, she struggled again. She was arrested on drug charges and later tested positive for cocaine while pregnant. Ugh. 
She eventually lost custody of that son, as well as a second child a few years later. Jeez. Social worker reports talk about Talatia's history of domestic violence, repeated suicide attempts, and failure to complete three different drug treatment programs. Oh, wow. They were like, she doesn't have a permanent home. She doesn't have any parenting skills. She can't take Mm -hmm. care of these kids. Right. She didn't have good luck with men, basically moving from one unhealthy relationship to another. When she got pregnant for a third time, she went to Laura's home, which was a shelter in Cleveland. She wanted to get her life back on track. And I imagine at that point, it was like she lost two children and she didn't want to go through it again. I'm sure she felt like I'm pregnant again and I'm going to keep this home. One of the caseworkers said that she remembers how Talatia was really devoted to the program. Mm. She journaled. She wrote a lot of poetry. She sang in the shelter's choir. She went through a job training program. She gave birth to her daughter there. And they said that it was the longest amount of time she ever got to spend with one of her babies Mm -hmm. because it wasn't taken from her right Mm -hmm. away. And then she felt ready to make it on her own. She moved out. Okay. And the next line kills me. Oh, God. She returned to Laura's home a few months later relapsed and having lost custody of her third baby oh my god i just can't i can't stand it no so to get back into the program Mm -hmm. i'm sure there was a process and like an interview they had to Mm -hmm. do with her and when they asked her if she thought she was really ready to change talatia said if i go out there again i will die wow she was sure of it so they let her back in and the next day Talatia left the shelter and never returned. Oh, my God. She was last seen in June of 2009, dropping off groceries for her adoptive mom, which was a thing she did a Mm -hmm. lot. She cleaned her house. She cooked some dinner for her. And her mom reported her missing later. Talatia's remains were found inside Anthony Sowell's house. Of course they were. So this last one, it really, I mean, again, they're all awful. I don't know. This one just really got to me. So Diane Turner was the last woman to go missing. Mm Mm-hmm. In September, when were they all discovered? Beginning of November 2009. Okay. Diane Turner went missing in September of 2009. Okay. She'd been born and raised in Cleveland. Her mother wasn't really around much, and Diane reportedly told people that she'd been physically abused as a child, Ugh. even saying she'd once been hit in the head with a hammer during My a God. childhood incident of abuse. Yeah. I couldn't find anything about when what? she started doing drugs, but... She had multiple arrests for drug charges from 1991 to 2009. Oh, wow. She was known to work as a prostitute to get money for drugs. Mm -hmm. She had five children and lost custody of all of them. Okay. So she was described as kind of drug user who's hard to help. She was in and out of jail, changed addresses a lot, didn't stick to drug treatment programs. And once in a support group in jail, there was like a reporter there doing a story and she just happened to be there for this. And she talked about her life. And this is what the reporter recorded that Diane said. They said I was never going to be nothing, and I believed them. I've been in and out of here my whole life, meaning jail. I never had no family. i always been by myself. So Diane met James Martin, a reformed addict, in the early 90s. And she had kind of known him before from when he was an addict. Okay. They moved in together, and he had one rule. He told Diane, if you want to stay with me, you can't do any drugs. And he showed her how to get clean. Oh. And now I just told you about from the support group how she basically felt her whole life that just she had no, no one. one cared. No one cared. Mm-hmm. James brought her into his life and made her a part of his community. She wasn't on her own anymore. She knew people who cared about her. She started going to church. She went through a 12-step program. 
And it wasn't like a perfectly linear path to sobriety. Right. But she was trying. Mm-hmm. And then Diane became pregnant again, this time with James's child. She didn't do any drugs. She went to all of her doctor appointments. Mm-hmm. She was determined to not lose right. another baby. Yeah. But she did. Social workers took Diane's baby just four days after she gave birth, even though there was evidence that Diane had not used drugs in 21 months. Wait, what? This woman has lived her whole life on the streets, basically. Nobody caring, nobody being there for her, nobody taking care of her. She had to figure it out by herself. She has been on drugs and been out of jail her whole life. She has gone 21 months. She somehow... Turned it around. Yeah. And they took that baby away. (laughs) Oh, my God. Now, Hmm. in order to get her baby back, she agreed to enroll in a residential drug treatment program with her baby. Like, it was something they did together. But even though there's the dad that's... Mm -hmm. She had to... So, she and the baby are being taken away from the baby's father Mm -hmm. just so she can prove that Mm -hmm. she's not a drug addict. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That she could be an unfit parent and or that she can be a fit parent. Okay. And the thing is, I get with her history. Right. And all the babies they've taken from her before, they don't want to just like on a Willy whim be like, yeah. this one's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But it just seems, well, it gets worse. So let's just, let's just go. Okay. Staffers at the drug program asked county officials to remove Diane's baby after they observed Diane overfeeding her and feeding her spoiled milk. Diane had epilepsy which meant she required a lot of sleep. And the staff was like, that prevents her from providing proper care for the child. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So I'm not a social worker. I right. don't work in one of these places. Right. But I do know that you have to give people a chance to feel successful. Right. Instead of constantly tearing them down. Tearing them down. Mm-hmm. And Diane was doing it. She was doing the work, the incredibly hard work. Mm -hmm. And to her, it felt like it didn't matter. And she already felt like it didn't matter. You know? Like, yeah. Like, she stated in an interview that she didn't matter. The program was saying they couldn't provide the care she needed due to her epilepsy. And she lost custody of her child anyway. No matter what she had done. All this work that she had done. So she's just like, what's the point? Even though the drugs had stopped. Yeah. And James was like, stay in the program. Mm -hmm. Because he knew what was going to happen if she didn't. Yeah. But she was like, why? Yeah. They're never going to give me my baby back. He was like, finish the program and then maybe they'll give it, you know, then we'll Mm -hmm. fight to get the baby back. And she's like, they're never going to get. And no wonder she felt that way. I mean. Yeah. They didn't. There was no one. She just kept telling James, they're not going to give the baby back. And so she gave up. She left the program and was back on drugs a few months later. She and James broke up, but stayed in touch. My gosh. James last spoke to Diane in September of 2009 when she called to tell him happy birthday. And that was it. Within a few weeks, James started hearing that people hadn't seen Diane anywhere in a while. And that was around the same time that police discovered 11 dead bodies in Anthony Sowell's home. Oh, my God. So the other 10 victims were identified, like, in the first week of November. Mm -hmm. You know, they knocked on his door October 29th. It only took 
mm-hmm. a little over a week and everybody's identified yeah. except for one. People thought at first, well, it took a while to identify Diane because no one reported her missing, but that's not it. Mm-hmm. The reason they couldn't identify her is because no one could find a blood relative to give a DNA sample because oh. she had no one. Yeah. No one knew what had ever happened to any of the rest of her family. And then James was like, we have a baby. Yeah. So they found the baby and that's where they got the DNA sample from. Cause again, they had to do a DNA sample to identify mm-hmm. her body had been found in a third floor bedroom of the house on Imperial Avenue. Oh my God. So those are the victims. And it makes me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when we think about Vanessa Gay. That happened September of 2008, a little over a year mm-hmm. before they caught him. Yep. Just think of all the attacks that happened after Vanessa Gay. Michelle Mason, who was freaking clean at the time that she died. Mm-hmm. She volunteered with the AIDS Task Force. She spoke at AA meetings to mm-hmm. other addicts. Kim Smith, who was so devoted to her dad. Mm-hmm. Cooking for him, making sure he got to his doctor's appointments. Nancy Cobb, who was getting this like second chance at motherhood by giving everything she could to her grandkids. Mm-hmm. Amy Hunter, who freaking loved to watch Jeopardy with her son. Janice Webb, the prankster and peacekeeper who was so close with yep. her family. Talisha Fortson, who worked so hard in that Laura's home shelter to get clean so she could be a mom. And even though she failed, she went back yep. because she was brave enough to try again. Yeah, because she told him she told them herself, I'm not going to make it if I don't stick with this. And then Diane Turner, who had basically never had anyone looking out for her and somehow got clean for 21 months. And yes, it fell apart and she lost the baby that she fought so hard to keep. But I mean, she'd gotten legitimately sober for almost two years. So she probably could have done it again. Oh yeah, for sure. If she had just had more time. Yeah. Those all happened after Vanessa Gay ran out of Anthony Sowell's house and reported to police that she had seen a dead body in one of the bedrooms. And all but Michelle happened after Gladys Wade ran bleeding from Anthony's mm-hmm. house and gave police a full report of what happened to her, which led to nothing. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to October 29th, 2009, where this all started at the beginning of the part oh, yeah. one. Police have shown up at Anthony Sowell's house and discovered dead bodies inside. They return the next day and find more. And on Halloween Day 2009, police arrest Anthony Sowell, who is walking about one mile from his home. Oh, my God. A judge orders that he be held without bond. About a year and a half later, in June 2011, jury selection begins for his trial, and the trial concludes on July 22nd, when a Cuyahoga County jury found 51-year-old Anthony Sowell guilty of 82 counts, including aggravated (laughs) murder. This was a death penalty case, and so Anthony Sowell is ultimately sentenced to death. His attorney had tried to argue that Anthony's abusive childhood had caused repercussions throughout his life and that that should be a reason to, like, spare him the death penalty. Uh -uh. The attorney was like, Anthony Sowell is not a monster. He was damaged by childhood abuse and serious mental health problems. But the judge rejected the argument and upheld the jury's recommendation for the death sentence. Uh Obviously. This case shows some deficiencies in the Cleveland criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even an argument to be made that the man was in j- jail for 15 years and clearly exactly. not rehabilitated at all. Yep. Women who had survived attacks by Anthony Sowell were not taken seriously. Some of them said that they could tell when they spoke to police that the police either didn't care oh or didn't believe them. Registered sex offender, just keep in mind. <laughs> 
in prison for 15 years for these same offenses. Did they even look him up? Did they not know that? Or did that just not matter? Did they know that? Did they believe them and just think like, you're an addict, you deserve it? Like, what did they think? Yeah. We know that there are several families who didn't file missing persons reports. Right. But even the families who did file missing persons reports felt like they weren't taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Police would be like, well, they're just off doing drugs and they'll come back when they're ready. Cleveland paid out more than $1.3 million to victims and their families to settle lawsuits over how detectives handled accusations against Sowell before his arrest. Beyond the issues of law enforcement, the families of the victims in this case also felt ignored by the media, who didn't seem to feel the need to cover the disappearances of the victims, even when families sent press releases and invited the media to cover the case. That's absurd. Of course... Anthony Sowell appealed his death sentence, and he was still in the middle of appeals when he died on January 21st of last year, 2021, mm-hmm. after an unspecified terminal illness. Um, we don't know. They're not really right. allowed to tell us what he died from. We just know that it's not COVID. Yeah. And he was 61 years old. Ugh. That's the end. Oh, my God. I know. Cleveland. Cleveland. And all those families and all the hopelessness. All around. The hopelessness that led you to become an addict. The hopelessness mm-hmm. that led you to stay there. The hopelessness that, that you feel every time something bad happened to you and it didn't seem like... Yeah. Like, I'm not saying your family didn't care about you, but, like, the people who were supposed to protect you, the police, couldn't. just over and over again, they just really, that they didn't care. Goodbye. And maybe, I don't know, there are people who... Um, I won't argue this. There are people who would argue, oh, well, because of all the things the police have seen, they get hardened to it. And, but I'm just like, they still they have a job. Take to do. an oath. Right. I Maybe understand. It's time for them to step down if that's their situation. Right. If, if they you can can't no longer, bring yourself to care, if they can no longer protect and serve, then they need to go somewhere else. I can understand. I mean, again, with, with my experience with my family member, reaching a point where you have to almost close yourself off from mm-hmm. it or else it will just eat you alive. Yeah. You go, you go crazy. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not a cop. Right. Like with her, I have to sit back and be like, I can't mm-hmm. put anybody that I love in danger for yeah. her anymore. Like I can't, but I'm not a cop. <laughs> I didn't take an oath. Also dispatchers do as well. Mm-hmm. It's their job to get something to They were person. repeatedly failed. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons I wanted to go through all this was because I vaguely knew this story again. Right. I, I generally don't get too into serial killer stuff, mm-hmm. but I had heard this. And I had heard, yep, all his victims were these women on the fringes of society. These, you know, yeah. And it became almost like that's all you knew mm-hmm. about them. Oh, yeah, they were vulnerable women. They were drug addicts. Yeah. Some of them did sex work. Some of them did this. It's like they were reduced to that mm-hmm. because that's the quick narrative. But, you know, hopefully you all got through all of this that, like, that's not... They had things they wanted to do. Right. And be. And... <laughs> I made it through this whole thing without crying. <laughs> oh, my God. I totally thought I was going to cry earlier. Now I'm going to cry now. I just can't stand it. They were people. They were yeah. people. They were people with problems. They were flawed. They had their demons, for sure. But that doesn't mean you don't step yeah. up and help them. And any, I mean, the smallest capacity was your job. Right. Yeah. And, you know, at some point, they all had a chance. And everything failed them. So, Yeah. You know, just remember that people are human. Yeah. We love you. So much. Um, if you have a story you'd like to send us, we love to hear them. Yeah. 
You can show notes. Yep. Find it in the show notes. Email us, which is magicmurdermystery at gmail.com. Come hang out with us in the Facebook group. We'll talk about it. We can all rant and rave about this some more. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. We love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.